They say the world could be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. Who gets daylight savings time? I don't. I mean, I understand it from a fundamental standpoint. It's pretty simple. But not everyone in the world does it. So you have to ask yourself, like, why was it necessary to save that time? It's almost like thinking you can catch up on sleep. You can't. No matter how hard you try, how do you catch up on sleep? Once that day is done, that's it. Never backwards, always forward. And as the Ides of March approach, so does the NCAA tournament. For those unaware of the Ides of March, it is the day that the great Roman Emperor Julius Caesar, for whom the month July is named, was murdered in the Senate, stabbed in the back by his friend at Tu Brute. But there'll be no stabbing in the back here. We're going to also celebrate what we didn't celebrate last week, which was the birth of one doctor. Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal on March 6th and I am sure that I've told the Shaq story a couple of times where he was in high school and he was ranked behind two guys that went on to decent NCAA careers. Matt Winstrom played the University of North Carolina who was ranked number one preseason in the NCAA made it to the NCAA final last year to the final game last year did not win lost to Kansas of course they didn't make the tournament this year actually skipped the NIT, said we want to focus on moving forward. Mm, blue bloods, they got away with dealing with certain things. They like to fail up, but we'll get into that a little bit later. And Rodney Odom, who was scheduled to go to the University of California at Los Angeles, UCLA, went there, transferred to University of North Carolina, Charlotte, didn't pan out. Those guys were ranked ahead of Shaq in high school, and I remember keeping the score during the high school all-star game, part of my Summer job, I guess. And remembering he had a triple-double and he couldn't play basketball yet. Like Shaq was just, everything was dunks, blocks, and force. That was it. He was something like I had never seen up close before. A guy that big, that fast, that strong, never. Seen it on video, film, whatever you want to call it. Wilton Norman Chamberlain. But we'll get into that as well in a second. But I'd never seen anything like it. We created... Some degree of a friendship. I wouldn't call him my boy like we call each other all the time, but having taken him on part of his first promo tour when he signed the Jive Records as a rapper gave me another opportunity to connect with him. And when I wrote the screenplay for Halftime, my man David Aaron, happy birthday to my man, young Jake, my former students at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, when I created and taught the world's first university accredited course on hip hop culture called edutainment, the impact of hip-hop in American culture, he became my writing partner. And we wrote this thing called Halftime. And we wrote this thing called Halftime. And at the time, I really wanted someone like Dwayne Wade or a hashtag he who shan't be named to star in this. 
I had seen the hashtag and the Sprite commercial and he just did this subtle movement that told me he could take direction as an actor. So I thought he would be perfect for it. Plus, leveraging that name never hurts anything. And during the practice, this is when Shaq was playing for the Miami Heat. After practice, as a matter of fact, I was in the, I guess it was called the ACC, the Air Canada Center at the time, walking around, talking to him and Dwayne Wade. And he goes, how come I can't be the lead? I'm like, dog, you'll be like 40 by the time this comes out. And even though he acted like he didn't care, he cared. And it was funny, but shouts out to you, Daylight Savings Time and Organic Unicorns and all, because that's what Shaq is, an organic unicorn. It's not something we conjured up. We didn't know that existed until he showed up. It became real. And what is real is me being allowed to reintroduce myself. This is The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are Press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found, including and exclusively at this point at Anchor.fm. I started thinking about the five greatest weapons in NBA history. After the game of the week this past weekend between the last two NBA champions, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Golden State Warriors. No Giannis, no problem. No Andrew Wiggins who's going through something far greater than basketball. Best of luck to you and your family, Andrew Wiggins. But it made me say something at the end of the game because Drew Randall Holiday hit a dog of a shot then. Like he was just like, after the Warriors made this big comeback, he hit this three, you swore the game was over. Do you remember they left too much time on the clock for Wardell Stephen Curry II? The second greatest shooter in the history of mankind, only behind the police, of course. At the time of this recording, he was a day away from his 35th birthday. 35. It goes fast. He was just a young kid coming into the league, and now he's 35 years old. When you can shoot like that, as my man Ricky Pierce told me, because he played into his late 30s in the NBA. The former two-time sixth man of the year and Rice Al go Al's hootie hoo. You got to shoot that pill, Will. Keep you in the league forever. Steph's dad, Del Curry, played in the league for a long time because it's a commodity to be able to shoot the way they do. A valued commodity, for sure. But it's not just Steph's shooting. It's the energy he brings, the way he's changed to the geometry of the game that makes him a top five weapon of all time. But then I started to think back, like who are those weapons? And you can agree or disagree with me, as is your want, by reaching out to me in my social media contacts. I gave them earlier. When I started at the beginning of the league, was George Mikan the first weapon? Probably not. He's one of the biggest guys in the league. Has a drill named after him that guys still use to this very day. I saw Zach Eady, National Player of the Year candidate from Toronto, using that to warm up in his game in the Big Ten Championship. The Mikan drill. George Michael was dominant in his time. Was he the most dominant weapon? Probably not. Move a little bit further as Mike got a league just in time before the late great William Felton Russell came to the league. But could I call him the most dangerous? I could. There could be a case made for being a guy who could score, but instead decided he was going to play defense and rebound and control the game in that way. I would not argue with that argument, but from the individual skill standpoint, I couldn't put him in the top five weapons of all time. When look at Wilt, can I combine him with Shaq? I don't know because Wilt was definitely a unicorn. He was just something we'd never seen in basketball. He was so dominant, so ridiculously dominant. He still holds these records that 
Some of them may never be broken. I think she still has over 90 records in the NBA record books. That's absurd. For me to leave him off would be a travesty. So I don't even want to say by default. Does it actually eliminate Shaq? Who was a very dominant player in his time? Probably. And that hurts. Sorry, Shaq. So the first weapon of my top five is Wilton Norman Chamberlain. 48 and a half minutes in 1961-62 season, averaging 50.4 points and 25 rebounds a night. That's absurdive. Every single night. He played every minute except, I think, what, six minutes and 33 seconds of the whole season or eight minutes and 33 seconds of the whole season because he had to. We're not talking about load management today. He was keeping the lights on. I move forward into the 60s. It's still Wilt. 70s, I'm looking at the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor Jr. Easily the greatest offensive weapon in the history of the game with the sky hook. You knew it was coming. You couldn't do shit about it. So Big Lou at number two, no question. I mean, you look at what he did in Milwaukee. There's another guy who was playing in the ABA or the NBA. Nobody knew whether he's playing for the Atlanta Hawks or was the draft pick of the Milwaukee Bucks. Imagine this guy who had all these Paul Bunyan stories about what he did, the playgrounds at the Rucker, or coming into the ABA. But Julius Winfield Irving II, could he have been one of those weapons playing with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Milwaukee? Imagine that. It never came to be. But before Doc, there was Elgin Gay Baylor and Connie Hawkins. So was he a unicorn? Probably not. So Doc's eliminated. So right now we just have Wilt, when I say just, we have Wilt and Kareem. A couple of years later, 1980s, we saw a six foot nine inch point guard. Never saw anything like that in the basketball court because the geometry of the game was different. Smaller guys played in the backcourt, bigger guys played in the front court. But here's the guy who could have played in the front court, could have been a power forward, who was playing point guard. Irvin Magic Johnson. And shouts out to Irvin Johnson Sr., who passed away recently, the GOAT's dad passing away. Condolences to Magic and his family. But he's the third organic unicorn. Third top five weapon in NBA history. Gotta put him in there. Then after him, St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington. Now you could say, oh, Doc was... No, no, no. Not Connie Hawkins, not Elgin Baylor, not Dr. J. They didn't play defense like Michael Jordan did. They didn't have that level of dog in them that Michael Jordan did. And you have to not acknowledge those things. So now we have four. St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington is that number four. Are we running out of space? We got Wilt, Kareem, Magic, and Jordan. I said top five, and maybe I was mistaken. Is the energy of the moment. But that's what he looked like. When someone tried to compare or say, who does the hashtag remind you of? And it was said, and I can't remember exactly who said this, that if Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson were able to have a child, it would be that child who had the best of Magic and the best of St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington. The hashtag he who shan't be named. If you look in the dictionary of basketball player, I'm talking about all-around basketball player, guy who could play all five positions and guard all five, this one face. Argue with your mama, not me. Try Jesus, not me. It is what it is. Feelings be damned. So is Wardell Stephen Curry, one of those top five? Well, I mean, does he, who does he bump if he does? I still believe he's right in that conversation because he changed the geometry of the court. 
I mean, he had a memorable March Madness run at Davidson. He had the hashtag coming to see him play games in the regular season. Got him gas. He told the story just recently of how he has, to this day, in his childhood home in Charlotte, posters on the wall of the hashtag. He admired him that much as a player and now as a fellow competitor and the guy who is in the twilight of his basketball playing career. Respect. But didn't start out so well for Wardell Stephen Curry II. After being drafted in 2009 by the Golden State Warriors, ankle injuries slowed him down tremendously to the point where the Warriors were about to give up on the experiment that was Steph Curry and trade him to Milwaukee Bucks for a former number one pick in the draft, Andrew Bogut. One person stopped that trade, Mark Jackson. But imagine if he had been traded in 2012 to Milwaukee, just like when I talked about Doc and Kareem. Imagine Steph playing with Giannis Ugo Laterrence Tentacumpo in Milwaukee back then. Wow. But it never happened. Mark Jackson, the head coach at the time, they traded the assets Monte Ellis and Epe Udo for Andrew Bogut to bring him there and help them win championships and said, we're going to give you the keys to the car, kid. Don't make me out to be a liar. Mark Jackson put chum in the water the minute he said that Steph and Clay Alexander Thompson were the two greatest shooters in NBA history. He was right. Steph is the lone unanimous MVP in the league's history. Not Wilt, not Russell, not Kareem, not Magic, not Bird, not St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington, not the hashtag. Wardell Stephen Curry, the lone unanimous MVP. What made him great? to me in a lot of ways. It's not that he was an elite athlete or he went to these five-star camps and was recruited heavily. This little guy, like, he didn't look like he was strong enough to make the ball go to the basket. Now he shoots 50-foot shots like nothing. He's changed the geometry of the court and changed the game forever. He's also changed the game off the court with his three-star camps. Most of these camps are invite only for the top players, five-star athletes. He made sure to remember the people who were like him when he was coming up. Didn't matter if he had a dad who played in the NBA, he still wasn't heavily recruited. So he found a place for those kids who don't get the exposure, to give them exposure, was three-star camp. So shouts out to Steph. And look, got to appreciate him now because he won't be here forever. But in the words of that immortal postmodern contemporary literary giant, Lawrence Krishna Parker, we will be here. We will be here forever and ever and ever and ever. We will be here. The open run with Will Strickland will be here. And we'll be right back with more where basketball and life are one on the other side of this. Back to my people. Back, giving you more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with you, the listener, and with myself because it is therapeutic. One of the send shouts out to the Oscars last night. Really, I don't want to even send shouts out to the Oscars. They had a crisis emergency team as if this was the damn Source Awards from 1995. Relax. But I happened upon a win for Best Picture. And the director of that film said something to his wife, and I guess, allegedly, it was a bar from the movie. 
But he said to her, and it felt so organic and so genuine, that if all the shiny stuff, all this stuff, the accoutrement of being famous, of being in this film, of being in this room with all these Oscar winners and multi-millionaires and billionaires, that if all the shiny stuff went away, I would just love doing laundry and taxes with you for the rest of my life. What? Oh, she ain't going nowhere. I can't even front. It hit different, and I liked it. I think I'm going to name an episode of the podcast, Laundry and Taxes. As a matter of fact, I will. You'll hear it soon. At any rate, also shouts out to two Ivy Leaguers, two Ivy League Hoopers from Brown University, Grace Kirk and Taming Cho, who are suing the school and suing the Ivy League because the Ivy League does not offer scholarships for their athletes, even though they get millions of dollars from endorsements and the like. They want their piece of the pie. I'm not mad at them. They didn't try to create a union. They're like, we should at least get scholarships. You know, these schools cost a lot of money. Going to Yale, one of the schools that recruited me, I'm glad I didn't go. I went to Rice so I can get that scholarship. Plus, we played in a better conference at the time, the old Southwest Conference. But shouts out to Grace Kirk and Taming Cho. And hopefully you're successful in your attempt to change the way that the Ivy League does business with these young people who are playing this sport. And of course, as the NCAA says each and every year, there are over 300,000 student athletes who play in the NCAA. And almost every single one of them will go pro in something other than sports, 100%. Still take care of them. No more top fives for either the men or the women. We're looking at the seating because Selection Sunday was this past weekend, and it was something to see. On the women's side, the top four seeds, University of South Carolina, Indiana University, Stanford, and Kenny Brooks's Virginia Tech Hokies. I mean, I'm not mad at them because I think they played great. I had them in the top five last week at number three, and they played well, and they got hot at the right time of the season. And with at least one team almost being insurmountable and Dawn Staley's Gamecocks down there at Columbia, South Carolina, if you have not filled out your bracket yet, please do. It's going to be a great tournament on both the men's and the women's side. But on the women's side, I have my final four as the triple-double queen, Caitlin Clark, and the Iowa Hawkeyes matching up against Dawn Staley's University of South Carolina Gamecocks, Aaliyah Boston, another National Player of the Year candidate, as well as Caitlin Clark, could be either the greatest Final Four matchup this year or a complete blowout. Depends on what Iowa can do with that big interior, what they can do with Zia Cook, what Zia Cook can do defensively against Caitlin Clark. It's going to be something to see. And again, there's one team that chased the University of South Carolina to the brink. That was Memphis State before Don Staley made the adjustments necessary to help them win the game. Dia Cook played great in overtime. Will that same thing happen against Iowa? Will Iowa employ a zone? On the other side of the bracket, the University of Utah Utes, who've been hovering in the Pac-12 and playing pretty well. They didn't play so great in the Pac-12 tournament, but I think that they're going to play well enough in their bracket to win it and make it to the Final Four against Virginia Tech. I have the University of South Carolina defeating Iowa and in an upset of Virginia Tech. The Utah Utes making it to the NCAA Finals. First time since Keith Van Horn and Heno Metala. Shout out to the late, great Rick Majerus in that final game caught in the 90s, maybe? I can't even remember, but I just remember that Utah made it to the NCAA Final. University of South Carolina versus Utah in a walkover. 
University of South Carolina, Dawn Staley becomes the first black head coach, male or female, to win back-to-back championships, as well as she's the only one to also win multiple national championships, male or female. Shouts out to Coach Dawn. That's going to fill up my bracket on the women's side. And, you know, they're in repeat season. She's going to cement her Coach Dawn Staley Hall of Fame induction. She's already a Hall of Famer as a player. Going to go in again as a coach. Shouts out to her. And some coaches won't make it, like Mark Adams. I guess the whole slave versus master thing did work out so well for him. And the save face. He resigned from Texas Tech University. I suggested last week that Chris Beard make his way back up to Lubbock. But that won't be the case because now he's the new head coach. The University of Mississippi Rebels. Ole Miss. Congratulations to Chris and his fiance, who I guess said, hey, we can't mess up the church house money because they can fire you for cause. So I'm going to say I did it and take the L for the squad. And some people can fail up right away. Lost his job at Texas. Got another high visibility job in the SEC with the University of Mississippi. So shouts out to Chris Beard. And fare thee well, Jim Beheim after 47 seasons in Syracuse, New York. Plus, another four as a player, and I don't know how many as an assistant, but, I mean, a half a century in Syracuse, you have to really love that place. But Jim Beheim handed over the keys to Red Autry, a longtime assistant and also a player there under Beheim. Now the new head coach, so shouts out to Red for getting those stripes. And a former opponent of Beheim's on the court as a player and a coach. One Patrick Aloysius Ewing, who cannot be saved by even the great Matt McClung, who played there for a season under Patrick Ewing, was fired after six seasons and a 75-109 and record. One of the greatest Hoyas in the school's history, given the pink slip by the university. So shouts out to Patrick Ewing. Maybe he'll find a new job. Yeah. Let me stop. Shouts out to Bill Self, the Teflon Bill. Out of the hospital, I don't know what the issue was, but he was sidelined for the Big 12 championship game with the University of Texas won over the University of Kansas. Maybe that made him get out of bed. I don't know. But he was discharged just this past weekend after the game. And shouts out to my man, Damon Stoudemire, Boston Celtics assistant coach, about to be named the new head coach at Georgia Tech. Josh Pastner out of there. Georgia Tech for Damon Stoudemire. Congratulations, Damon. And condolences to the former number one team in the country, the University of Houston Cougars, who lost their leading scorer, Marcus Sasser, to an injury, a groin injury, in a semifinal game of their conference tournament. But he also lost his sister, Karen, who passed away during a game against Cincinnati. You saw that Kelvin Sampson's team lost in their conference tournament final against Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers. So shout out to Penny for his team making the NCAA tournament. Hopefully, as an eight seed, they'll do okay and make it past the first round. As hopefully will Arizona, who topped the UCLA Bruins in the Pac-12 tournament. Controversial ending, missed three-pointer. And someone was going at Mick Cronin's dad. And when you have the guy who I always called the little guy from Bugs Bunny. Hey, hey, say, watch coppers. I don't know why I always, it's maybe the tight suits he used to wear in Cincinnati. It it is, definitely. But, uh. Shout out to both Arizona and Tommy Lloyd's team was going to go far in the tournament, as well as UCLA, who I have going pretty far as well. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. Shout out to John Shire, first year head coach, after the legendary Coach K retired at Duke, winning the ACC title 
and make it to the NCAA tournament this year. But I can't give stats to Will Wade, former LSU coach who was dismissed right before the tournament last year for offering impermissible benefits to over 11 student athletes being caught on a wiretap talking about how much money he wanted to give one of them and somehow got a new job this year. So my man Jesse Washington from Anscape ESPN wrote that the black coaches in these situations get arrested and go to prison. The white coaches get new jobs. I wish it was just an emotional play. It's just the fact of the matter. We'll wait. Now the new head coach at Joe Dumars U, McNeese State. Don't know how that happened, but yes, I do know how that happened. Let's move on and give some love to the players. Shouts out to Drew Timmy, the professional student of the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Now the all-time leading scorer there. Will he and his Bulldog teammates make it to the Final Four? We shall see as our top seeds on the men's side of the bracket. University of Houston, no Marcus Sasser, no chance, in my opinion. The number one seed overall, the Alabama Crimson Tide with one of the top picks in the NBA draft this upcoming spring. And Brandon Miller, KU, Bill Self back in the fold. The reigning and defending national champions, one of the top seeds, and of course, the Purdue Boilermakers, who were number one in the country for the majority of this season. Zach Eady and his Boilermaker teammates coming off a Big Ten championship win over Penn State. But will they make the Final Four? Not my Final Four brackets, because I have, on one side, Shaka Smart and the Marquette Golden Eagles, making it to face the Alabama Crimson Tide of Nate Oates. And on the other side of the bracket, Drew Timmy and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Will this be their year? Versus the University of Texas Longhorns. Don't say I didn't tell you. And in the final, as Marquette loses to Alabama in a great and high-scoring game, and Gonzaga loses to Marcus Carr and the University of Texas, who played great under Rodney Terry, the interim coach who had to step in when Chris Beard was fired after a domestic violence charge against him, a felony charge that was eventually dropped. It's not football. We're talking about basketball. Alabama versus the University of Texas in the NCAA final. And I'm taking Alabama because I can't root for any old Southwest Conference team. Now, can I? Yes, I can. Shout out to my people at University of Texas. But they will not be victorious in the NCAA finals as Alabama will be a football school no more. The highest paid state employee might have a word to say about Nate Oates' new salary because he's going to renegotiate. It's going to be Miller time and redemption from Brandon Miller, who indirectly or directly, depending upon who you're talking to, has something to do with this young lady being murdered on the streets of Tuscaloosa by one of his former teammates, Darius Miles, and Miles' friend, Buzz Davis. We're not going to let a damper be put on the greatest time in college basketball. Hopefully you fill out your brackets. You can win, whether it's a pay thing or just for fun. Enjoy the tournament. It is a magical time and please come back for more of the open run with will strickland on the other side of this you are now listening to the sounds of the open run with will strickland where the lecture is conducted from the mic to the speaker in conversation with the listener and myself because it is Therapeutic. Is it therapeutic to bring up old shit? I don't know. Not in this case, maybe, but three years ago, just last week, one 
Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert, and his infamous mic touch shut down the entire National Basketball Association. I guess it was inevitable one way or the other because COVID was a thing. Or as I, should I say, would like the kids say it? It was a whole movie. I don't know if I can say that. I don't know if it's applicable, but somebody will let me know if my slang which was incorrect. Anyway, we've come a long way from that. It seems like it was just yesterday, but it's three years ago. How much has changed since then? Rudy Gobert no longer in Utah, now in Minnesota. Hopefully not touching any mics and touching any star players in the face or whatever, like he did with Donovan Mitchell, that caused the rift. I mean, having Trader Danny show up in there didn't help it either, but it is what it is. And this week was full of jokes about Sean Kemp pulling out drive-bys in his 50s. And everyone's so quick to be the first at everything instead of getting it right. None of that matters. Getting it right or getting the truth doesn't matter. As long as you say it first. And so the initial shock of seeing Sean Kemp being arrested for a shooting in a parking lot until you find out that someone has stolen something from his car and he was tracking the thing that was stolen. Found it with someone in another car. Shots were fired at Sean Kemp. In retaliation, he fired back. Self-defense. He was let go the day after they arrested him. But it's funny how lies and slander and salaciousness travel faster than the truth. Or maybe it's not funny. Because someone who was threatening all the church house money, Demetrius Jamel Morant, was released by the Colorado police, who said they had no case, they weren't going to charge him in anything. But now it's decision-making time for Ja, as he continues to sit out games, and the exoneration for both Kemp and Ja Morant and how, no matter what they do at this point, after this, those things will always come up. There's always a boilerplate situation, guilty or not, with athletes and any sort of guns or violence. And I don't want to do the whataboutism when it comes to like Chris Beard or Will Wade and compare those things to what Sean Kemp and John Morant did. But let's move on to something happier than the NBA as my man Pau Gasol. Easily one of the most skilled big men to ever play the game is the 12th player to have his number retired for the Los Angeles Lakers. And in 2018, there's a video floating around from the Oscars, as a matter of fact, where Kobe won an Oscar for his animated short, where he says Pau Gasol will have his number retired in L.A. for the Lakers. It'll be right up there next to mine. Unfortunately, he was unable to attend Pau's ceremony, which is super emotional, like Vanessa Bryant showed up along with her children. They're very close as a family to Powell and his family. And Powell, was just, he lost it. He's teared up when he sees his number being dropped. And it's right next to Kobe's numbers because Kobe is the only player in the league that has two numbers retired for a franchise. Number eight and number 24, of course. So shouts out to Powell. And not so many shouts out to the Toronto Raptors fans who are still whining about calls referees made and their tragic one and four road trip out west. You know, whether it's Scotty Barnes and his technical from Scott Foster or Fred Van Vliet having words about Ben Taylor and Ben Taylor messing up the game and possibly having a personal bias against him. So Fred took the fine. He's like, fuck it, I gotta get some shit off my chest. $30,000 later, he's cool with it. He was willing to take that fine. But Scotty Barnes questioning the integrity of the officials. The line that Scott Foster gave in his post-game report as to why threw Scotty Barnes out of the game. And you can clearly hear after Scott makes the call that Scotty says, 
Bro, you're cheating. What is he supposed to do? Call a tech? Sit him down? Talk to him? I don't know. We can, In hindsight, we can say all kinds of things. But in the heat of the battle, he questioned his integrity as the referee. Somehow you have to figure out the best way to create a symbiotic relationship. And it's almost like a marriage. The fact that these players are bigger, stronger, faster. The game moves way faster than it did years ago. And it's, it's really fast now. That these referees, some of the best officials on the planet, make so many correct calls in real time. They don't have the luxury of going to replay every single play. So for them to be as proficient as they are, and it's, you know, somebody said that it was like me promoting the cops. I'm like, you sound stupid. They're adjudicating what's going on in the court. Of course, they are the officials of the court, but that's a reach for a comparison. Is it because the players are the majority black and the referees the majority white? So are the owners. Stop playing. I'm just saying that if it's clear cut that this is what was said, I understand why Scott Foster made the decision he made. Was it too harsh? I thought it was. It might have been. He could have given it a technical and let it be that. But he didn't like that. Because once you start questioning and questioning it, then it becomes this contentious thing. It does become personal. You have to nip it in the bud. It is what it is. Raptors fans, get over it. Keep it pushing. And try to make it to the playoffs this year. Shouts out to the Oscars crisis alert team for not calling the police on Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan from Creed Three, the biggest movie in the world right now, apparently. One of the highest grossing first weekends, especially in a March weekend opening ever. And Jonathan Majors has been tabbed to play one Dennis Keith Rodman in a movie called 48 Hours in Las Vegas. His infamous trip during the NBA Finals where he left Chicago to go to Las Vegas to hang out with then-girlfriend Carmen Electra and do whatever he was doing and party all weekend. And, and his teammates, one in particular, St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington, told their head coach, Philip Douglas Jackson, you can't let this guy go to Las Vegas. We won't see him again for the rest of the season. And he was right. Jordan flew out there and had to pull him out of bed to go back to play in the NBA Finals, and they still won. So shout out to Jonathan Majors for getting in this role. I can't wait to see what this movie looks like. And as I keep talking about St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington, there's this kind of cool thing I saw in Kevin Pelton's mailbag on ESPN about which first name in NBA history had the highest scoring top five. And it came down to the Kevins. Kevin Durant and Kevin Garnett are the only two over 25,000 point scorers in the NBA with the name Kevin. So they're definitely going to be at number one on the list. If you think about it, over 102,000 points through this past Thursday have been scored by guys named Kevin in the NBA, including Kevin McHale at 17,000 plus. Kevin Willis at 17,000 plus. That surprised me. And one Kevin Wesley Love. That's crazy as hell. And I don't know that anyone else is going to break that mark because at number two are the Bobs or Roberts at 99,000 plus points. Of course, Robert Parrish at 23,000 plus. Robert Lee Pettit, first 20,000 point scorer in the National Basketball Association's history. Bob Lanier at 19,000 plus. Bob McAdoo, 1975 MVP of the league at 18,000, almost 19,000 points. And at 16, almost 17,000 points, the Houdini of the hardwood, Bob Cousy. I mean, if you think about it, you could have had another player with over 15,000 points with the name of Bob Dandridge, the most underrated small forward 
of the 1970s easily was left off this list because he scored over 15,000 points. But there's some active players, Robert Covington, Bobby Portis, and Robert Williams III. I don't know if they're going to add to that list dramatically, but you never know. So number two, Bobs and Roberts. And number three, much like he was the third pick of the 1984 NBA draft, St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington leads that list with 94,000 points through this past Wednesday. Of course, you got Michael Finley at 17,000, Mike Mitchell, old San Antonio Spur and also Cleveland Cavalier with over 15,000, Mike Conley at almost 15,000, and Mike Bibby, the same thing, almost 15,000 points. I mean, there's a huge drop-off between Michael Jordan and Michael Finley, almost 15,000 points, but hey, we're not going to knock that. And the Michaels could move in the second. If Mike Conley can score at least 1,200 more points in this career, they could overtake the Roberts and the Bobs. You never know. At number three, Mike's and Michaels. At number four, Johns and Johnnies, 86,000 plus points led by one John Havlicek. Then John Stockton at almost 20,000 points. John Drew, the late John Drew at 15,000 and change. Johnny Newman, low top Johnny Newman. And of course, Detroit's finest, John Long with just over 12,000. The Johns are a top heavy group. Of course, Stockton and Havlicek being top 51 in all time scoring. But to move up this list, the Johns will need John Wall currently stuck on 12,088 points, 43 behind John Long to resume his NBA career. Can't see that happening. And it's going to be a long time before John Collins joins this group. So at number four, the Johns and Johnnies. At number five, the Pauls. Paul Pierce at 26,000. Paul Arizon, 16,000 points. Paul George at 16,000 and counting. Paul Millsap, 14,500 points. And the late great Paul Westfall at 12,000, almost 13,000 points. So, could the Pauls move up a little bit? They could pass the Johns when Paul George scores another 1,166 points. So, this list will change. And I think I want to keep a, a running tab on this because I think it's kind of cool. Man, maybe I'm a nerd like that. So, whatever. At number five, the Pauls. At number six, Chris's or K-H-R-I-S. Shout out to James Christian Middleton for that one. At 85,000 plus points, Chris Paul, of course, at the top of that list with 21,545 points. Chris Mully. Mully, 17, almost 18,000 points. Christopher Weston Bosch, the 17,000 and change. Chris Weber. 17,000 and change himself, and Chris Milton, 11,000 and change. They're the only other group other than the Kevins that has four players with 17,000 plus points. That's a huge gap, but Chris Milton, depending upon how much longer he plays, they can keep pushing up that list. And last but not least, the Jims, James, and Jimmies of the list, 81,777 points through Thursday, led by one James Edward Harden Jr., at 24,500 points. Big game James. James Worthy at 16,000 and James. Buddha Edwards. James Edwards at 14, almost 15,000 points. Jimmy Butler, 13,000 and change. And of course, Jim Jackson, 12,500 points plus. And two of the top five still active in their list. They could also catch the Johns if Jimmy Butler and James Harden keep playing at the levels they're playing at right now. But you will always play at top shelf levels because you've been A1 since day one. So come back for more of the open run with Will Strickland on the other side of this. Perfect. 
It is now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank you all for tuning in to the podcast where basketball and life are one. And with that being said, it is now time for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Happy birthday shouts out go to Jeremy Grant of the Portland Trailblazers. Playing solid this season. Will they make the playoffs? I don't know. But I always imagined him leaving Denver and going somewhere like L.A. and playing the role that Jared Vanderbilt plays for the Lakers right now. That would have been a crazy squad. Did not happen. But shout out to Jeremy on his birthday. Shout out the guy he could have been playing next to who just turned 30. Anthony Marshawn Davis Jr. His birth certificate says 30. His body probably says something a little bit older. Anyway, after playing two straight shitty games, might have been because of his birthday. Lakers are tied with other teams at 33 and 35. The West is wild right now. But shouts out to AD on his birthday. And rest in power shouts out go to Felton Spencer, the former number six pick in the NBA draft was a guy who I recall when I first went down to Kentucky. My dear old dad, Blessed Dead, was stationed at Fort Knox. He was a guy who was the man in Louisville. I remember playing in a tournament. I think he played at Eastern, if I'm not mistaken, in Louisville and played a summer league game against him. He was huge, seven-foot guy. He was one of those traditional centers. He didn't have a lot of wrinkles in his game. He was the Robert Glaze, my man, my former teammate, Robert Glaze. We used to call him the man of a thousand post moves. Rob had two post moves. And he would number them. Left hand jump hook number 19. Right hand jump hook number 17. Like that was Felton Spencer. And he passed away at the age of 55. Condolences to Felton and his loved ones. Light love and blessings to all of you. And some milestones to talk about. Another big man. There's a lot of big man talk on the show today. We've been talking about Shaq and Wilk and Anthony Davis and Felton Spencer. Brad Doherty. One of those guys who played in the Cleveland's first golden era, if you want to call it that, in the 80s with Mark Price and Larry Nance Sr., Ron Harper for a bit, Craig Elo. Brad Doherty is from North Carolina. North Carolina is the home of NASCAR, and he was a big racing fan growing up, and with money and means and connections, created his own all-black NASCAR squad, and they're the first black ownership team to win the Daytona 500. So shout out to Brad Doherty and rampant black red neckery for those Fans of the old podcast, All Balls Don't Bounce, you'll remember Rampant Black Red Neckery. We're all in that crew. Salute. Brad Doherty. Shouts out to Russell Westbrook, who is now ninth on the all-time assist list, surpassing the great Isaiah Lord Thomas III. You can't stat pad and become ninth. You just have to be good for a long time. With as many times as he's been traded in the past four seasons, to still be productive, despite his production being slowed quite a bit. So to Rush, it's an accomplishment and a half. Shout out to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who sold four of his championship rings and three of his MVP trophies, along with other memorabilia, to the tune of $2.8 million, of which he donated to a youth education organization. Talk about somebody who puts his money where his mouth is. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, still a leader. After all these years on and off the court, shouts out to the captain. Some injury news to report. Sad to hear that Lonzo Ball may be facing his third knee surgery on that bulky left knee. And I don't know if he'll be back for next season either. That's going to be tough. He's going to be going into the third year of his four-year contract he signed a couple seasons ago. Does it make the difference between DeMar DeRozan and 
Zach Levine staying together? Do they keep Vucci Man for next season? What do they do to improve? Because they cannot come back as currently comprised, and they need some help there. And Lonzo Ball was a big part of that in their defensive identity. So get well soon, Lonzo Ball. Brandon Ingram, also on the shelf with a sprained right ankle, not helping the playoff push that the New Orleans Pelicans need right now, despite a recent victory. And there's so much murmuring about Zion being out indefinitely, but at the same time, someone's countering with the notion that somehow he'll be back for the playoffs. That's rich, because we don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. They're right there in the mix, lumped in with those 33 and 35 teams in the race for the play-in tournament, or maybe even sixth place, because there's two games between 11th and 6th. And again, as I say almost every week, one bad week can have you out of the play-in and into the playoffs. One bad week, two games. It could happen. But is he back for the playoffs? Averaging 28 and a half? I'm sorry. That's not how many points he's averaged. And I'm talking about Zion. It's how many games per year he's averaged since he came to the league. Yikes. KD, grand opening, grand closing on his debut against his old team, the OKC Thunder, because you cannot spell choke without the O, the K, and the C in the warm-ups. Kevin Durant sprained his ankle. I said it was an old man injury, but hey, it could be dangerous. Floor could be slippery. He's out two to three weeks, minimum. What does that do for the playoff push of the Phoenix Suns, who are firmly ensconced in fourth place in the West, because there's nothing like being firmly ensconced. But just as long as you have Devin Armani Booker, you have a chance to get well soon, Kevin Durant. And Luka Lamar, who is day-to-day with a left-back contusion as Dallas continues to try and find their identity, also out. Rick Brunson, which is a gift and a curse, in a way, because Emmanuel quickly has had an opportunity to fill in that role and play pretty well for the most part since Brunson has been out. A big win against the Lakers the other night after losing three straight on the road. They did not want to lose four in a row. Shouts out to him. Get well soon and get that foot together. Also suffering from a foot injury. Some people might say a foot and mouth injury. One Kyrie Andrew Irving, who was recently found on Twitch talking about many things. You know, how can I be free if my indigenous people in Australia are not free? How can I be free if my people here in America are not free? How can I be free if there are still kids mining cobalt in Africa for Tesla? You think you know me because you see me three hours a day on the court. That Kyrie's a cancer. That he's this. He's that. What about the other 21 hours of the day? You don't know what I do. And Kyrie is very generous. In a quiet, quietest kept way, he supports a bunch of causes with his money. I don't know if that's the Curry favor or not. The fact that we even question it, he didn't have to give his money. He does. So there's no question. Because if you're not doing it, shut it up. But the thing he said at the end of his clip on Twitch was a thing that stood out to me when he said, you know, what's taking the joy out of the fan experience and, and the game itself is gambling and fantasy sports because these guys think that they own the players, that somehow they should not base their lives and gamble their lives away. It's a game of risk. It's a game of chance. I'm not responsible for the chance and the risk you take with your own money. So fans don't come to have the experience of going to the games anymore. They come because they want to make sure their prop bets or their parlays pay out. That somebody doesn't mess up their fantasy points. And I talked about this last week on the podcast. I talked about it with Dwayne. I talked about it with Gilbert last week. Gilbert, by the way, of NBA.com Global Editions. He's right. The fan experience is trash today. 
You know how the Surgeon General has a warning on cigarettes, like if you smoke these cigarettes, you could get lung cancer? I don't know if there's a fan experience general warning, because maybe there should be, that you can't have the fan experience anymore. Maybe they should start doing what Dave Chappelle would do with his shows now. When you come in and they lock up your cell phone, you just experience the moment. People don't enjoy the moment. My man Rob from The Black Guy Who Tips in Charlotte said something that was so key to me a couple of years ago when he came on the podcast and that, you know, we go to games and it's about the journey. We know that our team is bad. We know that they could be a whole lot better, but the experience, the journey going with them, suffering through the highs and the lows of the season and just enjoying the experience of watching a professional basketball team play a game they're very good at. Respect to. Speaking of the games of the week, I talked about Milwaukee playing at Golden State this past weekend, the last two champs of the NBA with no Giannis and no Wiggins. My man Joe Ingles, Jangles, playing a big game for Milwaukee and how Steph and Drew closed that game out. Will it be a preview of the NBA Finals? It's hard for me to count out the Golden State Warriors because they know how to get there. Milwaukee's dominating the East right now. Dominating. Boston could right the ship sooner than later. Cleveland could be a stinking surprise. Even New York. Of course, Philadelphia is right in the mix. If they can keep it together, you never know. But in our Power 10 this week, Milwaukee at the top of the charts. Still, number one team in the league. At number two, the Boston Celtics. At number three, the Philadelphia 76ers. Creeping up on the Celtics in our Power 10 this week. At number four, a little dip after four straight losses. The Denver Nuggets. At number four, still number one in the West, of course. At number five, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. If they stay healthy, they have a chance. I know they got Ricky Rubio coming back, and Ricky Rubio plays like a superhero in international play. He doesn't play the same way in the NBA, and I don't get it. But maybe he'll have to. At number five, the Cleveland Cavaliers. At number six, like the beam, Mike Brown, coach of the year in the NBA. No question. If he doesn't win it, it is a travesty of the highest order. Two all-stars playing great basketball has them in second place in the West. It's hard to deny what he's doing out there with the Sacramento Kings at number six. At number seven, will they be whole soon again? With Stone Cold Stephen Grizzly Adams coming back and maybe Demetrius Jamel Morant coming back after getting the help he needs to refocus and recalibrate and get ready for this playoff push. At number seven, the Memphis Grizzlies. At number eight, the New York Knickerbockers. No Jalen Brunson. Still in the mix. Salute to them. Tom Thibodeau will have you playing all your minutes in the regular season. Will you be tired for the playoffs? That's going to be key. Come on, Tom. Open up that bench. Let those young guys play a little bit. At number nine, the Brooklyn Nets. Hey, look. They could have cashed in all their chips and quit on the season. Jacques Vaughn has them playing basketball as a unit. They play small ball. Royce O'Neal. Dorian Finney-Smith. Of course, Mikel Brooklyn Bridges. You get Nick Claxton playing out of his mind right now. Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Seth Curry. They feel like they could be a minor air tip for somebody. Right now, they're a top 10 team in the league at number nine, the Brooklyn Nets. And number 10, rounding out our power 10 this week, the Phoenix Suns. Before we get out of here, I want to talk about winning. Because winning is a big thing. For some people, it's everything. Word to Vincent Lombardi. Or is it Ricky Bobby? Because if you ain't first... Then you last, or something like that. Maybe I'm misquoting the great Ricky Bobby. That's on me. I'll take that L. But who's taking this L in the 
Jonathan Clay Reddick versus Kendrick Liddell Perkins. Yes, Liddell. And this heated rivalry they have about how the MVP voting is going as a vast majority of the fans and voters are looking at Nikola Jermaine, that's J-apostrophe-M-A-Y-N-E, Jokic as being a three-time MVP. But he doesn't do it on both ends of the court, and that's what the argument is for Kendrick Perkins. He also brought in some racial angle, and people are panning it, including J.J. Redick. There could be a tinge of validity to that, and that, much like we talked about the coaches in college basketball, the black coaches get arrested and go to jail. The white coaches get to fail up. Nikola Jokic is an amazing player. When he won his MVP and they were sixth in the West, the argument was he was the best player in the league. He just didn't have the talent. Guys are out. No Michael Porter Jr., no Jamal Murray. Got it. Russell Westbrook won an MVP and he was a sixth seed with a triple-double season. I got it. This year, he's first in the West. He has all the help he needs. Has historic numbers as a center. It all makes sense until you look back from a historical standpoint at guys who have won three straight MVPs and all of those guys had gone on to at least two NBA Finals and won at least one of those NBA Finals or those elements don't exist in the resume of one Nikola Jermaine Jokic. I see that as being a thing that, you know, even though they say it's a regular season award, what you do in the postseason does affect how voters look at what you're doing. Now people want to be strictly, it's just a regular season award. No, what you did in the past seasons does affect how people look at you. Is there voter fatigue? I don't know. What happened to Jokic because of the noise being made around it? Is he deserving? A word we don't use over here at the open run with Will Strickland, but hey. Is he deserving of the third MVP? Well, then you have to look back and say, well, did he really earn the other two? Could it have been Giannis one year and Joel Embiid the other year? This feels like a Steve Nash versus he who shan't be named in a, in a Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal conversation. Or maybe even the late, great Kobe Bean Bryant conversation. And the year he should have won the MVP in 2007, where he had his best season, in my opinion, Dirk Nowitzki won it. I don't know. But what do you think? Let me know. You can reach me on my socials. And of course, the MVP each and every episode is you, the listener. So until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble and keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man out there in Edmonton, Las Vegas at the Junos right now. Salute and good luck to you, sir. Do what you do when you do it. Peace.